Welcome to the Natural Lifestyles Podcast with your hosts, James Marshall and Liam McRae, where we will be diving deep into the issues of modern masculinity, seduction, dating, lifestyle design, sexuality, psychedelics, you name it. This is the Natural Lifestyles Podcast. When I was 22 years old, I was living in Canberra, Australia, very boring town, capital of Australia, but there's nothing going on there except people becoming public servants or heroin addicts or sometimes both. But yeah, it's a fucking boring place. And if you live there, I suggest you get out because anyone I know that was interesting left. However, at that time I was there and I was studying Chinese medicine. I was doing a diploma course where I was studying acupressure, herbs, uh, anatomy, spirituality, meditation, a whole bunch of stuff that I was really interested in. And at the same time, that was the point when I was most dedicated to my martial arts practice. I was doing Shaolin Kung Fu, as many of you would know from knowing my story. And that was, that was really my obsession at the time was Eastern healing arts, spirituality, and Eastern martial arts. So as part of this course, we got to go to China and to go to the north of China, to Liaoning province, Liaoning province, and do an internship in a hospital, which is a, a fascinating experience, seeing a hospital where they use acupuncture needles just as much as they use drugs. And I saw some wild shit, like people sticking needles right through people's wrists. And, uh, and a guy who'd been paralyzed and become blind from being electrocuted, like he, he's, uh, he was an electrician, he'd been badly electrocuted and was blind, they healed him by sticking needles into his eyeballs, which was pretty fucking intense. Anyway, this, well, this internship was about four weeks, I think, in, in the Chinese hospital. And then we had to come back and go straight back into, into our coursework for the course. Now, I had been studying and obsessed with Shaolin Gong Fu for, at that time, five, six years. You know, this was my path. I was, I was gonna become a monk. I spent many hours every week uh, you know, two, three hours at least a day training this martial arts. I was obsessed at this time. And, and so I had a chance to go to China and I was about 10 hours train ride in, in the north from Shaolin Temple. And what I decided to do was to finish the internship and on the last day say to my teachers, hey, I'm really sorry, but um, I'm gonna go somewhere else today. I'm not coming home to Australia I'm, and I'm gonna be probably a, a couple of weeks three, four weeks late to come back into the courts. And they said, well, you can't do that. I said, yeah, I know, I probably can't do that, but I, I'm gonna do it anyway, because I have to go and do something that's really important to me. And I will make, I will find a way to make up the coursework. Please don't kick me out of the course. I will do double shifts. I'll, I'll do extra exams or whatever it needs to do to catch up, but I'm gonna have to go. And I got on a train, I traveled 10 hours-ish down south to Hunan province, caught another bus, went out to Shaolin Temple where I didn't know anyone, I didn't have an invitation letter and it's to go and train with the real monks in Shaolin. I don't even think there, I, don't, I doubt there are any real monks in Shaolin Temple now because at that time it was the last generation of real monks. The Chinese government was coming in, putting in their own puppet monks and turning it into a, basically a theme park. But at that time I knew that there was some of the last lineage of real monks there. But you can't just rock up and go, hey, to the abbot, this, you know, this essentially enlightened master, hey, I'm a white dude and I just want to come here and do some Kung Fu. It doesn't work like that. You need a letter of invitation and you need to be, go through a process of vetting to, to come in and do this. However, I just decided I, ha I was that, that close to the place that I was most intensely drawn to that I had to just go, fucking the consequences. And so I turned up at the small village near the temple and by a series of amazing karmic or random uh, chance events, I got to meet a guy who, who introduced me to another guy who introduced me to one of the monks that I'd heard about that was real lineage, who introduced me to the abbot. And 
I was given an opportunity to, to study there and to train. That's a whole other story and an interesting story which you can read about in my book, Natural History, or see my 21 Convention Studios uh, talk. I talk about this at length. But the point is that I took a major risk and I did the opposite of what I was supposed to do. Right, so I was I was supposed to, if, if I was following the, the general pathway of what people tell you in the civilized Western world or many places around the world where if you're an intelligent person that's trying to become educated and trying to succeed in life, that there are certain steps that you must follow and if you do follow them, they will lead you to a successful life. And if you deviate from them in any major way, you are risking failure. You are, you are absolutely likely to end up in poverty, in, in deep regret, and to fuck up your life. That's the narrative that so many of us are taught. We're taught that, it's like if you're not from a disgustingly rich family, okay, you're from a middle class family or working class, or you know, you're just someone who has to make their own life for them, it's not gonna be handed to you then you're told if you're going to do that then you must get really good grades at school go immediately into university preferably a college and do something probably that necessi not necessarily something that you're interested in but something that uh, should get you a real job and then as soon as you finish that job you should try and find an internship or get straight into another thing and then lock yourself into that career path for the next 40 years of your life and your leisure time or your ex personal exploratory time needs to be limited to your weekends and to the four weeks-ish a year that your workplace grants you of your own personal free time. And you're supposed to continue doing that. And along the way, you're definitely supposed to very quickly find a woman that's your own age, your same demographic, marry her, have children with her, and then purchase a, a, an expensive debt, which is your house, because you can't, I mean, who, who the fuck can afford to buy a house outright? I did it and that was because I did things exactly the opposite of what everyone told me to. But for everyone else I know back in Australia who followed this pathway, they didn't buy a house, they bought 40 years of debt. And Australia particularly is in this huge housing bubble where to buy like a simple house anywhere inside a metropolitan city is gonna cost you a million bucks, right? Whereas in my parents' era, they bought our house in the center of Can Canberra for $40,000, right? And that's in one or two generations, that massive change. Anyway, I digress. So you're supposed to do that, and work until around 65 and then you can retire on your 401k in America or your superannuation in Australia or whatever it is in, in the UK and the, in Europe and then, then, then you can come to Scotland. Then you can go walking around Scotland and do the things that you want to do and then, and then you die. So that's your prescription for a successful life. I'm not going to say that that is uh, necessarily the worst thing to do. There, of course that is a, a legitimate way to do things for some people, for our parents' generation baby boomer generation, particularly in places like the US and Australia, where there was massive employment, where there was huge economic growth, uh, based around the fact that the Second War had just destroyed most of the wealth and destroyed so much infrastructure and destroyed so many humans, that there was a need for, there was so much need for labor. There was so, so many opportunities because the country, the, the planet had been gutted and it was kind of starting again. It was a unique time in history that created a unique time of prosperity for the working and middle classes. And it is important, I think, when you're getting into self-help, when you're getting into entrepreneurship, when you're getting into positive thinking, it's important to have delusionally positive beliefs, but it's also important to look at where do I exist in the timeline of history? Because the country that you are living in, the economy that's happening around you, the zeitgeist, as in the spirit of the time, the things that are, things that are working, the things that are not, shifts 
generation to generation. Back in our parents' time, when things were stable and growing, yeah, going to university and doing almost anything, right, studying almost anything, uh, would mean that you could go into a job and that you could buy a house early in life and, and pay it off reasonably easily. A working class man could support a, a, an entire family and buy a new car every few years and so on and so on. That American dream or the Australian dream of that period of time was a possibility for the average person as long as they did work hard and study hard and, and didn't become gamblers and you know, do, do something really, really reckless, that they could succeed in that way. That era is over. That time doesn't exist anymore. And a lot of your parents who are telling you that you gotta do this something, don't have no idea what the fuck they're talking about in terms of the modern era. They are living in a mentality that worked a generation or two ago and now uh, mostly doesn't work. There are some fields where, okay, you know, engineering or medicine or law, like traditionally kind of white collar jobs, which there's, st there's still a clear need for. And if you follow a certain path through, it's reasonably likely that you'll be able to get somewhere. But in this day and age, the way that I did things, which to many people looks like insanely risky, I've recognized now as I've gone getting through my career and getting through my life, I accidentally started did a very outwardly risky path that is actually far more safe and intelligent than most people of my generation. When I look at my friends back in Australia, the choices that they made that were based around security, safety and following the rules have in many cases led them to prisons of their own creation in the sense that they got, they had children very young with a woman that wasn't the right woman for them or a man that wasn't the right man for them because the, they hadn't formed their personalities yet because they hadn't actually truly explored themselves. And so they hooked up with someone who was also hadn't fully explored themselves. And over three, four, five years, they changed massively and were no longer compatible. Unfortunately, by that time, they had inseminated one or the other of them, had inseminated the other, created a new creature that they now had to deal with together, whether or not they fucking hated each other for the next 20 years minimum. And others of them, saddled themselves with insane debt to buy a fucking house in the suburbs of in some Australian city which is not particularly interesting and then they have to then stay in their job forever to pay this fucking thing off or to pay off the car or to pay off their university debts by me following actually following my passions and deciding that I was going to not go home and do that exam I was going to go to Shaolin Temple instead was one of the first major steps that led me on these pathways to bouncing around the world from success to success, as well as crushing failure in, in between the successes. I, I've certainly gotten smashed back by reality and by circumstances and by bad business deals and plenty of other things. But overall, I've been managing to increase my success and my satisfaction in life in a way that most people don't. I don't know where I heard this saying, but it's a good one. It's better to beg for forgiveness than ask for permission. And that's not always true, of course, because sometimes if you commit a crime, it's not really better to beg for forgiveness than to ask for permission. You just shouldn't have done the crime. But in terms of making decisions about how you want to live your life and things that you want to do, in the case of me going to China, for example, I'd made my decision, I'm going to do this. I, out of courtesy, I just told my teachers that I'm going to do it. And they were like, you can't do that. And I was like, well, I'm just going to do it anyway. And then what happened? I mean, what did happen in the end? I came back from spending a month in Shaolin Temple where I got to train with the, the last great masters of this system that, that are still alive, I don't, most of them are not alive now. And I got to, you know, deepen my spiritual pursuit. I got massive clarity about what I wanted to do with my life at that time, which is very different from what I'm doing now. But at that time, I was, it, it locked me in in terms of, un, of this is 
clear to me now that I'm on the right path, that I'm doing something that's really spectacular to me and I'm growing and I'm changing and I'm becoming a really powerful young man from a guy that was like a nerdy, shy, socially awkward, brutalized, bullied child from a poor family that was that played flute and, and just got punched at school to you know a guy at 22 who was powerful in the sense of I didn't have worldly power, I didn't have money or influence, but I had control over my emotions. I had a deeper insight into my own psyche than most people ever do because I'd been meditating uh, with the Shaolin monks and going deeper and deeper into my core. The benefits of that month have ricocheted throughout my life and have intensified as they bounce from other other amazing opportunity to other amazing teacher and to a continual thirst and quest for knowledge and experience not just not just book knowledge but definitely lots of book knowledge but personal lived experiences i went back and the teachers are like well you're fucking you're late aren't you sure are a month late i'm like yeah i know sorry about that i know that's caused you some inconvenience so how can we fix this so what do I need to do in order to finish this course? Well, you're gonna to have to do some extra work. Okay, I'll do some extra work. And uh, you know, yeah, might cost you a little bit of extra money because you have to do an extra thing over the summer. Okay, let's do that. All right, so I just figured it out and caught up and everyone else that went back, I mean, they had no advantage over me except that I just had to have a few more sleepless nights to finish a few exams. And I got to have that experience. Most of the men that I deal with and we, we now have a pretty clear demographic of guys that we teach. It's been interesting seeing that evolve over time. I've taught every single type of person. I've, taught, I've literally taught royalty. I've taught male models. I've taught millionaire CEOs. I've taught the best poker players in the world. But those, those kind of like really interesting out there guys are the outliers. I've also taught plenty of guys who are very just broke students or you know, guys just starting out in the workforce who managed to do exactly what I'm talking about. To, they went and took a bank loan out or they worked three jobs or they spent that inheritance that granny gave them or they sold that fucking car which is just dragging them down in order to come and do a course with them, right? So they, they really pushed well beyond what seemed sensible in order to come and train with me because they understood that this is a vitally important life-changing experience and I think they were also conscious of the fact that the time is now. Like this, if I hadn't have gone to Shaolin Temple then, if I'd gone, oh, okay, well, I'll finish that course and then I'll save up some money and you know I'll, I'll open my Chinese medicine clinic and I'll, I'll get established and then I'll go to Shaolin Temple, I would have been sorely, sorely disappointed because I would have rocked up five years later and the abbot would be dead because he died a couple of years after I, I went there. Yeah, two years after I went there. The teacher that I ended up learning with is, wasn't in the temple when I, when I went back four years later, he'd gone. I don't know where he went, he just vanished. As, as, as the Buddhist monks sometimes do. So that, and, and when I first went in 2002 to the second time I went in 2004, that temple was totally different, radically different. They tripled the size of it. They turned it into this huge, Chinese government, they turned it into this huge kind of Kung Fu theme park. And by that time, even just two years after I first went, there was only one of the teachers left in the temple that I, that I knew, that I knew was a real, you know, the real deal. And then I'm sure a couple of years later, it was just, it would have been empty. And now I am absolutely certain that that temple is just an empty shell of what it once was. Even though it's big and grand and got guys swinging swords around, they're not monks. They're uh, acrobats who go out and chain smoke and have sex with chicks and party afterwards, which is I'm no judgment on them for that, but that's not what I went there for. There are certain times in your own lifetime where, where things exist and then a few years later, they just don't exist. And it's important for you to understand that you're aging 
I'm really starting to sense that now as, as, as a 37 year old guy, I can feel my body shift and change and I recognize that I need to maintain my discipline in my health and I need to grab moments away from the endless stream of shit that just that you should do that pulls you pulls time off you. Right now I'm standing on a beach on the Isle of Arran in Scotland and for the last five days myself, my girlfriend, my brother and his wife have been walking around this spectacularly beautiful, peaceful, glorious island. I shouldn't be here because I'm the CEO of now quite a complicated company. Four days ago, I was in Budapest with a list like three pages long, I can show it to you if you'd like, of shit that I have to do. My company is going through a really, really complicated phase at the moment because we've had a, a big shift in the team, like a reorganization of, of the, not the coaching team, but the back end team, the, the marketing and the website design and all that kind of stuff. I had to shuffle people around, reassign roles, fire some people at the same time we are trying to move the company as a structure away from Australia and move it offshore because that's the smart thing to do in terms of taxation and, and the fact that we're a global company now. As well as that, I'm organizing a re relaunch of a product. We are just about to hit the intense coaching season where we coach all around Europe and USA. Uh, I'm constantly working on material like this. And there's just a million other, well not million, let, let's, without hyperbole, I'd say that there is a hundred at least tasks that I have to do every week as the, as the company head. And what I've learned about being in business is that you never ever finish, right? It's, it's like, there's, I think there's this idea, especially with the kind of life hacker, entrepreneur, four hour work week kind of thing that there's this fantasy that you just set up some turnkey business and then you press go and that's it. You're the CEO and you just collect the cash and you check in once a week to just, I don't know, check on something and go, yep, everything's perfect, excellent. And then you go back to reading The Way of the Superior Man on your yacht, somewhere like that. I've had those fantasies and I recognize now, after now being in business for nearly 10 years, that there is never an end to the duties of a boss. There are certainly better, more effective ways to be a manager and, and I'm always fighting my own desire to be a micromanager, to try and step back, delegate things, uh, to rec recognize that the 80-20 rule is really important to have in place. <clears throat> Quite a long time ago, I stopped teaching cheap workshops. I stopped dealing with private clients who wanted to do an hour of coaching because oft, I, I realized, I was, I was told this, but I had to go through the peri period of being, having my time wasted by people, is that the people who want the cheap stuff are the people that cause you the most trouble because they're looking for bargains, they're not looking for quality coaching. Whereas the guys, the, the guys that see me and go, yep, that guy's got the goods, they pay and they just fucking rock up because they know that it's quality and they know that it's not gonna last forever and they don't waste your time. So learning how to 80, 20 things to recognize that 20% of your clients are gonna create 80% of your income and, they're, and, they're, and a lot of the other guys are gonna fucking waste your time. So shifting those kinds of things is a, is a constant juggle to figure out, all right, am I putting too much time into something that's, that, I, that someone else could do or is just not worth doing? But still, no matter how much of that you do, how effective you become as a manager, there is endless, endless tasks. This game is never won. And last year I had the most successful year of my life. I, I made way more money than I've ever made, hit all sorts of goals and, and exploded them in terms of all the metrics of what I wanted to achieve, not just in my business life, but in terms of my relationship life. I have an amazing girlfriend who is also bisexual and we went around and had sex with heaps of girls together, did all sorts of amazing stuff. But what I recognized was that last year I just worked and I, and I got the fruits of that labor 
But I saw that I could just keep doing that in this business, maybe for another 20 years, and there's never a, an off time. Right? It's like I can work, I can keep working until three in the morning, and often I do, every single day. And this year I, I, I recognized that, okay, I'm starting to lose some of the lifestyle that I'm famous for, some of the lifestyle that I've constructed this life around. Because other stuff and other people will just take it all from you if you let them. And this is where the idea of like waiting till you're 65 to enjoy your life is such an insidious and dangerous idea. Because when you're 65, your body's not that great anymore. Your cock's not as hard as it used to be. And young, beautiful women probably don't want to fuck you as much as they do when you're 20 to 40. So many of the things that you that were really relevant to you, maybe when you were 25 or 30, you had a dream to be a musician or to go riding your bicycle around France or to start a, a non-for-profit organization or go and volunteer somewhere or climb fucking Mount Everest or something that was really challenging and really important to you. And then you wait 10 years and it's no longer relevant because now you've got fucking kids. Yeah, or now you've got that knee injury from that time when you got hit by a motorcycle, right? Or, or any of the many other things that are can happen and will happen in your life that will start taking away your freedom. Particularly when you're a young single man, that's the time to go and do the stuff. Not when you've got fucking children, because I've seen what happens to my friends. Those things take a lot of time. They take all the time. They just, you have to look at them all the time. You have to keep an eye on the little fucker all the time. Otherwise it falls off a cliff. You just have to be there with it all the time. And they're often really boring. They just say the same thing over and over again. I'm just looking at my like, fake child here in the bramble. <laughs> it's like, you're really annoying me. You just, oh, you're spending five years just asking me question why. I'm not ready for that, clearly. But I've seen my friends deal with it. And of course you get whatever you get back from having a child. I'm not convinced that it's worth the price. But you certainly lose your freedom and autonomy. Unless you're disgustingly rich and can outsource that to a nanny. In which case the kids are going to have all these issues because then you weren't there for it anyway. So how do you win? I don't know. Another issue for another time. But the point is, now is the fucking time to do the things. So that's why... When my brother contacted me, he's like, hey, do you want to go for a long walk around Scotland? And my brother is a specialist at choosing amazing, simple experiences that enrich your life over ambition and money and chasing the, chasing the rat race dream. Yeah, he is, he, he is one of the most, probably the best I've ever seen at living a really, really amazing life on next to no cash. And I was like, ah, oh, shit, well, that's, I really can't do that. Like, that's a bad time of my year because I'm just about to start the something, start the coaching season. And then I'm like, no, I, just, I definitely need to do that. I absolutely need to unwind. And of course I want to go and see this awesome place. And I love nature and I want to bring more of that into my life this year. And so I said, yep, let's do that. I've blocked out multiple periods during this year. In August, I'm going to go and spend all of August in China and going back for the first time in 10 years to do a very, very intense Kung Fu course with an, with an amazing teacher that I found. Not the original teachers that I was with, but a new teacher who's spectacularly good. Again, like a CEO of a seven-figure business, just like uprooting and disappearing for a month because I won't be contactable to go and learn Kung Fu when he's 37 years old. Isn't that insane and childish? No, that's why I started this whole thing. And I know, I, I recognize that I have an amazing luxury because I can. I don't have to, like, I've got, I'm the boss, so I can say to myself, all right, I'm going to take a month off and I'm not going to get fired. Many people don't have that luxury. I, un I understand that there's, of course, realistic concerns that you, that you have to work around. The fact that some people, many people just need to work in a job and work their asses off for certain periods of time. But if you don't have any other plan, it's like get a, get a good job and stay there forever. To me, that's such a waste of this rare time in history where there are other possibilities. There are other ways of living.
And I'm not saying it's as easy as just set up an online business because that's, that's kind of a dream that is sold to you by Tim Ferriss types. And it's, a lot of it's just marketing stuff as well. It's like, okay, it's not that it's impossible. I know many people who, who run those kinds of businesses, but they're not as simple as just like Google searching something that people are buying and then sourcing it from China and then setting up a little online shop and then you're done. There's, there's more complexity to it than that. But there are certainly now infinite possibilities of lifestyles and ways to earn money and ways to leverage money and, and location that did not exist before the internet, that did not exist before very cheap airline travel, that did not exist before most borders in the world were open to people who were lucky enough to have a decent passport. And if you're not gonna take advantage of that, and in this age where like social media is just in your face about all these possibilities of lifestyle and chicks and living living remotely and you know guys being living in Eastern Europe or in Thailand or in South America for a quarter of the price of what it costs back in fucking London or Sydney or New York, which are cities that are vibrant and cool in many ways, but they're also exorbitantly expensive and, and really, really brutal to try and make it in. I live in Central Europe for many reasons, but partially because the cost of it is a quarter of what Sydney is. I like Sydney, I like going there for a month a year, but it drains my bank account just being there for a month. Living in Central Europe and yet getting paid in hard currencies from the West means that I get to live five, 10 times the level of lifestyle than someone earning the same amount of me as me living in London, right? It makes, it's just fucking smart to do that kind of thing. Many people would have thought, oh, that guy's he's just uprooting and moving to Budapest with a handful of cash. So that's what I did a few years ago. Uprooted, moved over to Europe with not much money, set up and then told Liam, dude, you have to come over here. And he's like, what, I don't wanna live in Australia. I'm like, no, we all have to move over here because it's it, it, the worst case is you just go back to what was going on in Australia. But the best case is we now have access to the European market and the Austra and the US market. Whereas we, whereas previously we're in the arse end of the world in this tiny, in this huge island with a tiny population, we can't grow there. We have, to, Australia is limited by its environment. Doesn't matter how much positive thinking or how much fucking visioning or how much using the secret or how much hustle that we do, that environment's limited. We need to be in a richer environment. It was the, one of the best, it was a series of really great decisions to take what appear to be obscene risks, but are actually far less risky than staying still, right? Trying to stay still and put your head under a blanket and go, all right, this was fine 40 years ago here, so I'm gonna stay here, is not a viable option for most types of work that involves, that, that allows you to have an amazing lifestyle as well. So where am I going with all this? How is this relevant to you? The way, on very practical terms, what my recommendation is, is that every year, and we can start now, I know that we're halfway through the year, but you can start now. You don't have to wait till New Year's Day when you're like hung over and going, I promise I'll never do it again. Just start now. Is to look at, look at your year and, and figure out how much time can you claw back from your obligations. Sometimes that means, for, for guys that I've taught, often they've just gone, you know what, fuck, I'm just gonna quit. And I think quitting is a virtuous action in many ways. Quitting things that uh, you hate or that are not soul enriching for you or, the, or, you, or that you're doing for somebody else is a really powerful protest. I've quit a whole lot of stuff in my life. I've tried, I, I went to university initially out of high school, did started an arts degree and went, eh, I don't wanna think about these things right now. Like it's, yeah, okay, I'm, these are kind of interesting ideas, but for me, I wanna go out and explore the world. So I quit university and then I went and worked on an orange farm for a while and saved up enough cash and then I quit that and then I hit the road and traveled around India and did a bunch of other stuff. And then 
came back and then started a band and then sort of quit that for a while and then bounced into Eastern Medicine and, and tried to grow marijuana for a while. That wasn't very successful, quit that. Quit heaps of things. And that's good because every time I quit something, I pick something else up. And sometimes I return to things. Studying sociology and history and, and liberal arts back when I was 18, at that time, I, I re recognized that this was a waste of my youthful energy. Now I'm really interested in those things. I, I, I read, a, read a lot about history and about sociology, anthropology. Uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by those things and they're really relevant to my fields of work now because the more I understand about how societies work, the more I understand about how our history has led us to these points, the better I'm able to work with my clients because I've got a broader, grander kind of narrative view of the world, especially than the life coaches who only focus on hustle and work and, and visioning. They don't see the kind of grander scheme narrative of the human condition. Music was something that I, I was doing when I was a child. I was doing classical music and then I dumped, dumped that because I was getting beaten up and I just wanted to focus on learning some martial arts. And then some years later, I picked it up again and started a band. Right, so quitting and re, re, returning to things is totally cool. But I've, I've had plenty of clients who've come to me, done a workshop. Initially, they, 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 guys always come to me because they're unsatisfied with their life. That's at the, at the core of it. I don't get guys come to me who are amazingly happy with all areas of their life. They, I don't get guys who are like, you know, everything's awesome. I just want it to be a little bit more awesome. Uh, I get men who come because they're unsatisfied. They're just not getting sex. Or the, or the girls that they get into their life are just not doing it for them. They come because they're unsatisfied with essentially with their sex lives, with their, with their love lives. They don't feel fulfilled. They don't feel connection. They don't feel this erotic power. They don't feel their fucking cock hard for life. And so that's usually the thing that draws them in. And as we go through a workshop process, and of course, massive amounts of time we work on how to approach, how to, how to seduce, how to have the right mindsets, how to relax, how to project intent, all of the natural seduction stuff. But what happens is, as guys start going through that process, they start digging a bit deeper and they recognize that it's not just the, it's not like if I just had chicks in my life, then I'd be satisfied. As they start getting girls into their life very quickly when you work with us, they realize, oh, there's deeper things that are at play in my unhappiness or my dissatisfaction here. It's related to the work that I've chosen and the social role that I've somehow found my way in, where, which I've been conditioned in or, or pressured into or bullied into or enticed into to be a good son, a good worker, a good citizen, and to just play by all of these other people's rules. All of them, from the state, from God down to the state, down to fucking gender politics, down to the family hierarchy, down to your, you know, your nagging mother or your domineering father or your judgmental sister, or, you know, so many people around you that are just going, you must be this thing. And recognizing that, oh, there's all these forces trying to pressure me to be something that, that I don't necessarily want to be and not for my own self-interest, right? When the when grandmother is on your case to, to get married and have grandchildren, it's not for you, it's for her. It's so that she can have one more generation of people that remember her, so that she can feel that she's relevant again. I'm not saying that about all grandmothers, but that's a common one that I see, or parents pressuring, particularly from traditional cultures, Asian, Indian, uh, Jewish, you know, strong Christian families where there's a lot of pressure to get married and have children because that fits into their narrative, right? It, it makes them feel comfortable that their son is doing the thing that he's supposed to be doing. And so many guys don't want to just do that. And, and, I, and this is another rant for another period, another time we'll certainly look at, but in terms of when is it a good idea to get married and have children, certainly not in your early 20s or your 20s at all, in my opinion, for a man. 
much better to wait at least into your 30s before you even think about that kind of stuff. Because that's the time you've got when you are young, vital, strong, powerful, and also you don't, you haven't made it yet. You haven't figured out who you are and nor should you have to. I'm a great advocate for not knowing who the fuck you are and seeking, not trying to force yourself into a box or delude yourself that, that this is the way things should be and allowing other forces or your own ego or pride to just go, all right, this is me, this is where I exist and anything that I'm unsatisfied with or have doubts about, I'll just block out and pretend doesn't exist because it pops up. Those doubts, those regrets, those I wonders, those that doesn't seem right to me. Those things eat you alive at night. And men, I see it because I get guys who come in their 40s, sometimes even later, who've lived by other people's rules, who didn't take four weekends out of the year to go and do that thing that they love. Yeah, who, who just said no to that opportunity to go to go and meet that master uh, or to come and do the workshop with James Marshall when that was still a possibility. Not gonna be a possibility forever, guys. I'm getting rich, I'm getting old. Why would I keep doing this for fucking ever? It's, it's hard work and I've got other stuff that I wanna do as well, right? I'm gonna, I wanna go back to China. I wanna go and explore the mysteries of the universe. I love doing this, but I'm not gonna do it forever. I'm serious. It's marketing, yes, but it's not just marketing. Seriously, if you want the best, and that's me at, the, at my absolute peak, now's the time, now's the time. Marketing, clearly, clearly. Anyway, I see it with the guys who come to me later in life who've done, especially, it's heartbreaking meeting those guys because, and they're the, they're the ones that are lucky because they're the ones that actually are, have, have, are making change. But when you talk to a guy who's been celibate for 10 years or who was in a shit relationship for 10 years longer than he should have been, or who has been grinding away at a career that he hates, not because he necessarily had to, but because he's, he, he wanted his father's respect, or because that was the job, that was the thing he studied at uni, so he figured he should keep doing it, or who saddled themselves in a, with an obscene amount of debt in, in, a, in a small third-tier city where there's no opportunities and no hot girls, and bought a house there when they were 21, and they've been paying that off for 10 years. You know, these are, kind, these are the kinds of things that that's the, that's the risk, like investing 10 years into something that you don't want to do. How many of those 10 years do you get? Seven, eight max, and the ones when you're young and powerful and independent and you don't have children? 10 years, 20 years, maybe, 30 years, maybe, very rarely, right? We're, we've got this weird thing as humans that we keep ignoring our own mortality until the day we die. And we just, we don't like dealing with it. We have, we have this insane sense that everything is going to be the same even though logically we know that we grow we get older and we die and it's and it's over pretty quick i look back and i still feel like i'm 18 years old and i go well i'm definitely not 18 i'm 37 that's 20 years ago that i was 18 when i think about oh yeah i'm just kind of like that guy that used to cruise around smoking weed and playing the flute and no whoa whoa a long time has passed and i'm someone who's hyper aware i've spent a lot of time being aware of the moment and yet still i've slept it slipped into unawareness for a month and I come out of it and I go, whoa, a month just passed. I wasn't really conscious of that because I was grinding too hard and I was just focusing too hard and doing the thing that I was supposed to do. Or I was distracting myself, fucking jerking off or watch reading, reading shitty whatevers or watching too much TV or something. I've done a little bit of that in my life, far less than the average person, but it still chews away pieces of your life. Every day that you spend an hour scrolling through Facebook is one twenty-fourth of your life that you're throwing into into just thrown into a poker machine of uselessness. Every eight hour times five block or 10 hours times five block per week that you go and do a, an awful job or study that you hate without an exit plan is, is wasting of your life. 
putting, seeing that there's an opportunity out there, a great teacher, a great opportunity, uh, an experience that's not going to be there forever, and then going, oh, I'll, I'll do the next one. Those are the things that leave you on your deathbed with deep regret because often there wasn't another one. Very recently, I got an opportunity. I was invited by a very uh, influential, wealthy man who's become a friend of mine to go to Zambia uh, on a safari uh, with 20 very, very wealthy, well-connected men. And I had something else, two other things planned during that time. And it's a reasonable amount of money to, for me to go and do that. And I just looked at it and went, when am I going to have an opportunity to go and hang out with royalty, basically the Illuminati, <laughs> super rich dudes who are really, really well connected in Africa, in a, in a safari park where I get to live in a park where there's going to be elephants and fucking hippopotamuses and, and animals that quite likely will, many of them will be extinct in my lifetime and see that with my eyes. When am I going to get that chance again? very unlikely ever so whatever I have to do cancel this move this say sorry to that client I'll put you over here and I'll give you a discount I just moved everything around and went yep I'm doing it and Liam said yep we're doing it even though Liam's terrified of the lions and rhinoceroses as I should be too so we're gonna do that and stay tuned don't you worry there'll be an awesome episode when Liam and James go to Zambia but it's that that's the kind of thing where I just say yes to the things that are extremely awesome experiences and opportunities and I'll move everything else around. I'll work double time here. I'll, I'll owe someone something because I fucked them around a little bit there. I don't just fuck people around and, and forget them. I go, all right, student, I'm gonna move you here, giving you a discount and you get an extra hour on the phone with me or whatever I need to, to make it happen because I know I'm not gonna give my life to my students. I'm not gonna give my life to this business. I'm not gonna give my life to any fucking fucker. I'm gonna keep it for myself as well as doing all the awesome things and helping people around me and creating an, an amazing business. I think that's enough of a rant. It's good. I think that was a good one. I didn't, I just had a, jet, a little idea. I was just like thinking risk versus regret. And I didn't know where it was gonna go and that's where it went. So I hope you liked it. And I hope it inspires you to quit something and start something else. And if your mother's annoyed about this, tell her I'm sorry. If your grandmother wants grandchildren, well, fucking just go and she can volunteer at an orphanage or something. Like, if you don't want to have kids, just don't have them. This, I think they're a lot more trouble than they're worth. That's what I'm, that's, I'm pretty still sure of that. And now, I'm going to go grab my girlfriend who's wandered off somewhere, and we're going to go for a little walk. Thanks so much for listening to the Natural, Natural Lifestyles, Lifestyles Podcast. Podcast. Check us out on YouTube at The, the Natural, Natural TV. TV. See you on the next episode.